Hi there, I'm Pamela Ambler. Welcome to I See Your Trade, the show that looks ahead with fresh insights and data-driven deep dives. In this episode, environmental, social, and governance. Could ESG be the biggest investment opportunity since the internet? ESG assets are on track to exceed $53 trillion by 2025, and this is about a third of the projected total assets under management. So how can investors play this emerging mega trend? I'll be joined by our guest, Denise Odaro, who's one of the world's leading ESG and sustainable finance experts, having previously held the role as the head of sustainable finance for the World Bank Group. ICR Trade is brought to you by IC Markets, a leading high-performance trading provider. Trade up to IC Markets. Now let's start by looking at the green opportunity. The term ESG, or Environmental Social Governance, first emerged in a 2004 report by the UN in collaboration with global financial institutions titled Who Cares Wins. A decade later, when the Paris Agreement on Climate Change was adopted in 2015, everyone started to care. A lot. And the more investors began to care, the more big corporations started to pledge their commitment to net zero. ESG assets are on track to exceed $53 trillion by 2025. This is about a third of the projected total assets under management. Sovereign wealth funds and pension funds have started to stack their portfolios with socially responsible agendas. As the money flows into sustainable equity funds, asset managers and index providers have found a link between high sustainability performance and improved financial returns. A report by BlackRock, the world's largest asset management firm during the pandemic, found that more than 8 out of 10 sustainable investment funds outperformed non-ESG-based share portfolios. Massive investor interest is driving momentum for new green technologies, like Australian billionaire Andrew Forrest's Fortescue Future Industries Green Hydrogen Initiative. Australian blockchain company PowerLedger, who's developed a trading platform for renewable energy, attracted investment from rock star VC Bill Tai, who backed Canva and Zoom. There's also been a wave of mega deals for rare earths, the likes of which are used in the electrification of, well, pretty much everything. In the great race to net zero, there are whole countries, major corporations, and funds all jostling for position sometimes competing in winner-takes-all contests. So where are the opportunities, and is there money to be made from going green? Now let's look at the green opportunity. My guest today is one of the world's leading commentators on ESG and sustainable finance. She is Denise Odaro, who's joining me now from Paris. Denise, thank you for joining me. One of the benefits of doing a vodcast is that you can see the charts that we're talking about. So if you're listening via audio only, we encourage you to turn on the screen now so that you can see the charts. But for our listeners, we will also talk you through the data. Let's dive right in. We heard the figure earlier. ESG assets are forecast to be worth $53 trillion by 2025. Can you give us some context, Denise, about how this class of sustainable investing has become such a significant financial market play? You know, ESG truly has become a mainstay in the market. And that number, $53 trillion, is in fact going to be a third of global total assets under management 
I don't think the one who's doing their job properly in asset management today can do so without somehow embedding ESG within their investment decisions. In fact, I believe the, uh, the numbers from the CFA Institute says something around the number 85% of, uh, of members are now embedding ESG into their investment analysis. We've come a long way, arguably, over the last decade especially. And I will say that that's for two main reasons. The first being that stakeholders are now demanding to see the embedding of environmental and social factors. I think governance had always been there because quite honestly, making investments without having that um, governance function has really been a risk that had been embraced prior to this wave that we're seeing of ESG. But the Paris Agreement is certainly where the milestone has been achieved. And on the social side, we've seen a wave which the unfortunate events in the US around the Black Lives Matter movement took to a whole new level. But certainly, we are now at a place where we can say that ESG is no longer niche, but now a mainstay of the capital markets in general. And regulation has played a big role in the rise in value of these ESG assets. What's this next chart telling us? So as we know, global temperatures around the world have risen over one degree Celsius since pre-industrial, the Industrial Revolution. What we're seeing now is this rise in regulation. And essentially, the market is operating in twofold. Again, we're seeing the carrot and the stick. The carrot being investor demands, as I had alluded to earlier, the stakeholder preferences, and the stick being regulation. So we're seeing globally this rise in um, governance and regulatory constraints around investment, ensuring that now we are seeing this embedding into an investment analysis of environmental and social um, considerations, essentially pricing in externalities that we had taken for granted um, for so long. And this is where the fundamental shift has occurred. So inevitably, if you are running a business, and you have to not only be looking at the risks as you had been, you know, with supply chains, for example, or violations of human rights on the E side, you are now basically running out of excuses not to embed ESG unless you are folding and running your business down. In that case, then you can essentially stand on the sidelines and say, I am not looking at this. Other than that, as you see on the charts, regulation is going, is coming to you, if not the investor demands. And ESG for a very long time has been seen as just a risk framework. Can you give an example of how it can be seen as an opportunity? So indeed, the numbers that are thrown out for what is needed to achieve the Paris Agreement is something around the tune of $2.5 to $4 trillion on an annual basis by 2030. In the emerging markets alone, we're seeing this number of $23 trillion of opportunity there. So, of course, what happened in Paris um, in 2015, as I'd mentioned, set this milestone and we have these national determined contributions from governments and these plans. But in order to actually achieve the infrastructure drive that we need to achieve the decarbonisation of our economy, of course, we need to channel capital flows to this. And there's several areas that are needing of essentially R&D, research and development, and several other areas that are needed to fund the projects that already are 
in partial existence. Um, to scale these technologies up to the next level. So essentially what we're looking at, just in fact in the emerging markets, which is where the rise in GHG emissions are projected to even be higher, is quite a sizable climate opportunity, I would say. And you're seeing a lot of venture capital money flowing to that. And what about the net zero commitments by financial institutions? What can we learn from uh, the, the corporate actions that are being taken? So there's the real economy, and that's what I was talking about in terms of the changes that need to be made across essentially the full sectors and of industry. But how do you finance this? So on the banking side and capital market side, we are also seeing this rise of commitments by financial institutions globally. And they're doing this for several reasons. But essentially what we are seeing is there's now this threshold where banks are saying, well, in order to lend money to you, not only do I have to be certain that this is not linked to stranded assets, but in addition to that, they are looking at the regulations as we just saw, and they will need to shore up their balance sheets, proofing against climate risk. And so there is the opportunity in terms of sustainable finance also, and the growth of that has been phenomenal over the last decade. And switching gears to looking at the size and scale of this green opportunity, what are some of the leading technologies that make up the environmental part of these portfolios? Is there a list of green techs to watch? So there is, as I said, I do think that there is this opportunity, particularly in funding areas that are yet to be scaled. So the likes of green um, hydrogen is an example in terms of how do we decarbonize and change our energy systems that exist today? Well, we saw the rise of re renewables through solar and the, what made that fundamental shift of taking it to a commercial um, um, accessible level was in fact the backing in terms of regulations, we had governments and investor interests, so both in hand. And that's what we saw is this growth in, in renewables through um, solar PVs. Now, we're at this cross, crossroads where the investments that can go into uh, you know, green energy, we've got the likes and, and not to mention, of course, uh, the potential around nuclear, which remains somewhat polemical as to whether that is green or clean. And we'll need another show to talk about that. But there are numerous opportunities here within uh, the energy sphere. Beyond energy, we also have to decarbonize heavy industry. So um, sustainable um, aviation fuel as an example, looking at shipping, you know, the hard to abate sectors. This is where the rubber will meet the road in terms of the opportunities and what we ought to see. Now, we haven't seen enough money flowing into R&D for these uh, hard to abate sectors, uh, cement being an example of that, I would say, how do we take what is now a niche in terms of this hard to abate sectors, taking that to a commercial level? It will take fundamental shift in the way that we're allocating capital, I'd say. So that's where, where we need to be taking things. And of course, ESG doesn't just relate to the green economy. There's also the social part of it. Is doing good just good for business? No, indeed, it is not just doing good for business. Doing good, in fact, I would say is doing social good. If you think about what the largest social problem is today, globally, it is in fact climate. 
So I would posit that climate is a social problem. Now, looking at what has impacted businesses, bottom line, arguably there have been more social issues that have hit companies from a reputational perspective, have hit their, that has hit their stock prices. So you see performance is actually linked to ESG, and there's no doubt about that. When we talk about climate risk, we're talking about projections. However, on the social side, there's historical um, records to show this, that the social part of ESG, in fact, has been more impactful on stock performance. So it goes beyond um, what has been to date uh, reviewing, you know, HR policies or supply chains and labor laws. It's all, all encompassing bringing into into the four other areas such as, for example, diversity and equality, um, you know, fair practices, not just to your um, not just to your employees, but beyond the business into the three P's, of course, for the planet, people and then profits. So it's looking at the three systems. And perhaps one of the biggest issues for ESG investors is that these portfolios end up being tech heavy and 2022 has been hit by a route in technology stocks. And how big of a problem is this for ESG investors? I don't see, um, I don't see this as being a big problem for ESG investors. Although what we're seeing now is um, quite a compendium of issues around ESG scoring and ratings. The tech industry has been easier to access in terms of the analysis of ESG issues in the tech industry, of course, compared to heavy industry, has been, just to put it mildly, um, perhaps uh, simpler. It has not been an issue for ESG, and I will argue that we do need technology and innovation to take us where we need to go in terms of meeting the sustainable uh, development challenges that we face. However, what I expect to come would be more of a diversity of portfolios way beyond tech into the real sector, which is where the shift that I spoke about will occur and needs to occur. So one of the biggest criticisms of the green transition is the need for an extraordinary uplift in the critical minerals like copper, nickel, cobalt and lithium. How big is this opportunity for investors? This is a massive opportunity for investors. Um, it's also an area that is somewhat polemical for sustainability advocates because this is also an area that has um, a lot of issues in the supply chain. And today, for example, when you look at cobalt, I mean, the majority of that is sourced from the Congo. And there is not um, enough, I would say, transparency as to the source of the minerals and what, in fact, um, the labour conditions are there, as an example. Um, this is an opportunity that, of course, with every opportunity comes risk. I will say that there is um, a lot of work being done at the moment to ensure the sustainability and, and in that sense, for want of a better word, the reduction of the risks that we're seeing in the social part of things, the governance in terms of who is who owns and, and the um, who owns the supply chain and, and the players in the supply chain. So there's a lot of work being done right now in terms of getting more transparency to that. Um, but it is a massive opportunity because we cannot cannot achieve um, decarbonisation of industry without these minerals. 
And it's somewhat of a conundrum to reach our clean energy future. The world needs to embrace a ramp up of mining activity, processing and refining. Is this causing a bit of friction? The issue, as with many of the uh, sustainability um, discussions that we are engaged in today, is that it, they are rather emotional. I would say that the, the need, even though the need to transition is agreed by many, how we transition remains in the area of, of um, not necessarily discord, but I would say of, of discussion. <laughs> um, and in some cases, not even civil. The, the point being that we do need to engage. We need to take what the, we're learning, and this is changing every day in terms of what the science says, but from where we stand, there is no way that we can achieve uh, the balance that we need without these minerals. And so it's a similar discussion that we had around what is green. Um, and, and this, of course, has been relative, as you will find even um, with some of the regulations that we looked at earlier, it differs from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. And the, by the way, this definition will continue to evolve as new science comes to the fore. I don't think that there's an answer to that right now. I do think that there does remain some friction, and this is always the case in the early days. We are approaching, of course, another industrial revolution, which is, will take us, hopefully, to a decarbonized future. And we just need to focus on how to get there, which I would say is, of course, embracing this discussion, but at the same time, moving forward. The European Emissions Trading System is the world's first carbon market and the world's biggest. How important will carbon trading be into the future as we aim to reduce greenhouse gas emissions? So carbon is going to be the new oil. There's no question about that. Um, this is a major lever of change for us. And so we will see the market for carbon trading really evolve over the next few years and will essentially become a mainstay of, of any, in fact, not only financial market, but I would imagine that there will be, in fact, numerous factions the way we've seen within the commodities trading, we will see that sort of similar development with carbon. Um, the European Union has made you know, much advances in this area. The voluntary carbon market, of course, we're also seeing has begun thriving, um, quote unquote, I would say. And there are other jurisdictions that are doing similar. We've seen stock exchanges that are starting um, to support this market as well. I mean, to be honest, when you forecast and just looking back over the last even five years, from where we, we are now and to where we want to go, I think is actually hopefully with carbon a shorter, shorter journey than it's taken us to get here. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Denise. That was Denise Odaro from Paris. As the world races to net zero, there is a massive opportunity for investors to ride this green wave of potential with plenty of upside. You've been listening to Episode 7 of I See Your Trade. I See Your Trade is brought to you by IC Markets, a leading high-performance trading provider. Trade up to IC Markets. <laughs>